It's Grammy time, which means everyone's thinking about hit songs, right? What better time to dive into the topic of how do you write a hit song? Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. And on this podcast, we explore questions that people have been debating for ages. Questions about music. And life. We're songwriters, musicians, music fans. And in the 25 years we've been friends, we've been practitioners of the unanswerable. But today, we'll delve into a new question, and we'll talk to some smart people, and we'll come up with the answer. Okay, Clint, what's today's question? Today's question is, how do you write a hit song? That's the age-old question. When Bruce Springsteen delivered an early version of his album, Born in the USA, his manager, John Landau, said, it's missing a single. After writing 70 songs for the session, Springsteen said, you want another one? You write it yourself. But Springsteen went back to his hotel room that night and wrote, Dancing in the Dark. That song catapulted the album to even greater commercial heights as successful as just about anything in the 1980s. It was his biggest hit. But what made that song a hit? What magic did Springsteen tap into? How do you write a hit song? Is there a formula? Is there something that connects iconic hit songs across the decades? A particular key, topic, theme, song length, structure. Clint, what do you think? Well, I think there is a formula, but a lot of people follow that formula. Right there, at this very moment, there's thousands of people writing a song, and they're great songs. To be honest, Like if you're a pro songwriter, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of pro songwriters, they all write great songs, right? They all write songs that fit the formula. They're the right length. The intro is the right length. It's in the right key. It's the right tempo. But why does one song become a hit and another song doesn't? There's a million different reasons why. In order to have an actual hit song, there's just a confluence of events of hundreds of little events that have to take place that have nothing to do with the song, right? It, like, on some level, it has nothing to do with the song itself. Like I was saying, it's as much about what happens to that song as the actual song itself. Right, so it's not just the actual writing of the hit song. It's the performance of the hit song. It's the production. The timing of the hit song. How it hits society at that moment. Right. Also, what else is on the radio at that moment? Because hit songs generally sound a little bit like what's around them in time, but it's going to have something a little bit different, right? It's going to have that special sauce that you can't even, you can't plan. There's just a million reasons. Researchers at Bristol University in the UK studied top 40 hits in Britain over the past 50 years, and they came up with a formula, a mathematical equation for predicting hit potential. And I'd explain it to you, but I don't understand it. <laughs> but it ran songs from the last 50 years through the formula, and it predicted hit potential on 60% of the songs. 
if that computer was responsible for signing new talent, it would be rich. Rich. What's the formula? Length. Well, over decades, this has changed. In the 50s, the average hit song was about two and a half minutes long. In the 2000s, it was over four minutes. Hmm. Clint, you've heard this expression, don't bore us, get to the chorus. As songwriters, we talk about the hook, which is usually the chorus. From that theory, it's get, get to, to the th hook soon. Yeah. Tempo. The most common beats per minute in a hit song is 120. You know what's interesting? When you open up a session in Pro Tools, it defaults to 120. 120. Ah, that's it interesting. It wants you to write a hit song. Most common words. Love, baby, time, yeah, feel, heart, nah, night, day. Huh. We should write a song that's love, baby, time, yeah, <laughs> feel, heart, night, day. <laughs> See what happens. It's a hit. But okay, what qualifies as a hit? Right. Guinness Book of Hit Singles uses the following distinction. A single that reaches the top 40 of the Billboard Top 100 or Top 75 of the UK singles charts and stays there for at least one week. We're not talking like... That's pretty broad. It's pretty broad. Yeah. We're not talking like, is it the next thriller? Right. Lots of people have hits then. In another study, this one from 2012, a guy named Dave Carlton gathered 1,300 choruses of popular songs to make quantitative statements about what makes a hit. So... Most common key, guess. C. 26% of hit songs analyzed were in the key of C, or its relative minor. A minor. The next closest was... G? G. Yes. <laughs> 12%. Now, the easiest key to play on the piano is... C. Does that have anything to do with it? Or is there something inherently compelling about the key of C? C episode four. <laughs> C episode four. Interesting... The least common key for a song. A flat. It's a tie between B and F sharp. Yes. Conversely, okay. much harder chords on the piano to play on the piano. Right. But again, rules are meant to be broken. I found one study, analyzed every song that cracked the top five in the year 2018. Most common key that year for a hit song, Clint? Hmm. E flat minor. <laughs> again, check, check episode it. four. <laughs> Sad song. There were eight songs that cracked the top five that were in E flat minor. Eight. That's incredible. Wait, that's F sharp major. The relative major of E flat is F sharp, F -sharp major. major, which we just said was like the least. Right. So, so that year was a total anomaly. outlier. Okay, back to the top songs of 2018. 15 of the songs that cracked the top five were a major key, 21 were in a minor key. That's also an anomaly. The most common beats per minute, 77 to 78 beats per minute. What? Slow, real slow. 2018. Clint, do you remember the line from Tom Petty's Into the Great Wide Open? Yeah. It says... There Man said, I don't hear a single. The future. The AR man said, I don't hear a single. Yeah. When I was 15, that was the summer after freshman year in high school, I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> what the heck is an AR man? Right. 
Well, they're the people at record labels that deal with the artists as they're recording their albums. They're the ones focused on hit singles. Yes, and they know the answer to today's question. This is what the music industry is based on. The music industry is based on great songs. It is based on hit songs. So give me some of your key The ingredients, yeah. So first of all, melody. The melody is by far the most important part. Lyrically, there have been songs that are ridiculous. There are songs that are... uh, so sad, so serious, so jokey, so like the, that changes, right? But what doesn't change is if you listen to hit songs, there's great melody. I always think of melody like this. When you're driving down the road and you look over and you see a telephone pole, the cord you know, swoops down to the next telephone pole. Those telephone poles are the chords. And what happens on the wire is the melody. So the melody is the notes between the chords. I love that. Right? So that is what makes a hit song. First of all, that's the most important one, in my opinion. Melody. Number two, I think if we studied the chord progression of these songs, I think the average over since the 50s to now, when they've analyzed all hit songs, it's between six and eight chords. That. You know, some have four chords, some have three chords. What I got by Sublime, two chords. Early in the morning, rising to the street. Light me up that cigarette and I'll strap shoes on my feet. That's rare. But in many of these songs, it's a one, five, six, four chord progression. And that's, I don't want to get technical about it, but if we were to listen to the Axis of Awesome, which we may have to listen to. Recognize this? Yeah, yeah, that's Don't Stop Believing by Journey. And the cast of Glee. Yeah, there's a few more songs with the same chords. Check it out. My life is brilliant. My love is pure. I saw an angel. Of that I'm sure. People killing, people dying. Children hurt and you hear them crying. Can you practice what you preach? Won't you turn the other cheek Forever young I wanna be forever young I won't hesitate No more, no more It cannot wait I'm your lipstick stains On the front of my left side brains I knew I wouldn't forget you if I could Then I would I'd go wherever you will And go. can you feel the love Isn't that amazing? I mean, all those great songs have the exact same chord progression. Right. So that is a big one. The chord progression, the melody. Next, the lyrics. How do you write great hit lyrics? As you say, like there are some really asinine. Definitely asinine, but memorable. In fact, the Swedes, who are massive hit writers, Max Martin is the king right. of pop songwriting. They are more worried about the sound of the word, not as much the word itself. I mean, they don't speak English, right? So they do, but they're, it's not their first language. They're less focused on its meaning and more focused on the on sound. On the sound of it and how it fits into the rhythm of the track, right. which is awesomely fascinating. 
so lyrics they i think what i think is they need to be general enough for everybody to get them they need to be accessible accessible but they also need to be specific so general specificity is the key so like everybody's gone through this thing that you're talking about but you're saying it in a way that is specific enough that it's different than the way the last guy is saying about it right so it's got to be but universal but universal enough that everybody feels that way I mean, that's why love is such a big thing. Everybody knows love. But that's where you immediately get into cliche lyrics. The goal is to fit within the format, but pushing the creative envelope, pushing it to like a new, a new way to say it. So those are my three things. You got chords, you got melody, and you got lyrics. Those are the key ingredients. Then you have tempo, which we've talked about. You have key. You have time signature. You have danceability. I mean, and danceability, like you're saying, in 2018, everything was so slow. So I wonder what's going on in society at that point where the hits are so slow. That seems crazy to me. This idea of general specificity Uh is really interesting. We talked in the last episode about Huey Lewis in the News. Mm -hmm. The power of love. Mm Mm-hmm is a curious thing. Yep. Make a one man weep. Make another man say. Change a hawk to, to a, a little, little white, white dove. dove. And that is what is awesome about it. Everything before that point you've heard before. Right. But when it does that, you're like, oh, that's an interesting way to put it. And don't need money. Don't need fame. Don't need no credit card. (laughs) (laughs) To ride this train. I mean, that's... It's right on the edge and yet so awesome. And yet so good. Yeah. And the melody is great. And the melody is great. And the production. Production is great. Yeah. The hook of that song is. That thing is 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 super catchy. There's a bunch of hooks, actually. A bunch of hooks. So it's interesting. In some ways, it's not so much the formula that if you get those things, you're going to have a hit. It's that if you don't have those things, you're probably not going to have a hit. Do you remember the research from Bristol University? Uh The researchers acknowledge that tastes evolve over time. And so too does the accuracy of the predictive formula. So in the 1980, Mm. the formula really struggles to predict hits much more successful in the nineties and the two thousands, which means hits from those decades were maybe more formulaic Mm -hmm. factors the formula considered harmonic simplicity in the past 40 years hits tend to be harmonically simple Mm -hmm. which is what i'm talking about with the chord progression yes right they're all following the same chord progression so danceability which you mentioned since the 80s the more danceable the song the higher its likelihood of success 
but here are a few unlikely hits. Okay, let's hear it. Do you remember this song? I mean, that sounds like it could be a hit right now. Okay, I guess. Uh, so he, this one. <laughs> let's analyze this. Let's, let's analyze, analyze this. So I was about 10, mm-hmm. nine or 10 when this came out. I was living in England. It topped the charts on both sides of the Atlantic. Falco was a big star. Falco. Yeah. The song is Rock Me Unbelievable. He was a big star in his home country of Austria and throughout Europe. But Rock Me Amadeus broke through everywhere. He became the first German-speaking artist with number one single in all mainstream U.S. pop charts. Can you think of another German hit? 99 Luftballons. No, that no. that's it. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Those are the two. But why did this song strike a nerve? First of all, it's catchy as all get out. That's right. so we're talking melody and words, mm. memorable words. Mm-hmm. It's a one five. Amadeus, Amadeus. That's there's something to. Oh, that's that's the thing. It's, so when you you can analyze melody right down to the the interval, right? So I don't know the exactness of what people have determined from this but like that interval right there there's something super catchy about that no amadeus amadeus so that is part of it secondly it says amadeus which is so lyrically there's something interesting about that right like it's an interesting word it's an interesting word meaning it sounds interesting and rock me amadeus Just ridiculous, Falco. <laughs> All right, here's another one. Okay, go. Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. This song from 1988 was unlike anything else that year. It has reggae, calypso feel, and it's a cappella. Do you know what song it displaced to reach the number one spot? Sweet Child of Mine. <laughs> no way. A bit of background on this song. The song features no instruments. It's all acapella, or as the Beach Boys would say, Acapulco. In its review of the song, Blender Magazine said, it's difficult to think of a song more likely to plunge you into suicidal despondency <laughs> than this one. <laughs> I disagree. I disagree. It's a great song. It makes song. me laugh. It I makes love me it. smile so much. But what made this song a hit? Boy. Because again, it displaced Sweet Child Sweet of Mine. Child of Mine, which is it could not be further. No, couldn't be further away. And th- so there's something right there, right? That, I think were boy. people ready for like a like a an big in, change, like an intermission, like a pause from maybe. whatever GNR were providing. Yeah, maybe um, it's it's reminding me of something recent, kind of. In, remember when Mumford and Sons happened? Mm. I think 2012, maybe 2013. Mm. There was nothing like that on the radio, 
And then all of a sudden, this banjo-driven acoustic guitar, four on the floor, kick drum comes along. Sounds nothing like it. And then has a massive hit. Like Grammys, they won so many Grammys. But that Bobby McFerrin, acapella versus Guns N' Roses is as far away as you get. So there's something in the total difference that is compelling to an audience. However, that song is just kind of perfect in its popness right in its melody it's don't don't worry be happy i mean what's more memorable than that i mean that is the most memorable lyric of all time so the other thing about don't worry be happy is that it was written or at least released with a feature film cocktail starring tom cruise uh side note that was the first compact disc disc that i ever had the cocktail soundtrack was my first cd Kokomo. Kokomo. Speaking of the Beach Boys. Uh, Hippie, hippie shake. Hippie, hippie shake. (laughs) Well said, my friend. (laughs) Uh, I remember that soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, that was it. It was great. Yeah. But, you know, so you wonder what part did Tom Cruise play? And that's the confluence of events that I'm talking about. Yes. It's not just about the song. Yes. Think about MTV. How much in the 80s how much the video had to do with what a hit was. Right. So, Such a huge deal. So we get Tom Cruise, we get Elizabeth Shue. Oh, Elizabeth Shue. Elizabeth Come Shue. Allie. <laughs> All right, here's another song okay. that I don't understand. Maybe you can explain it to me. Isn't that funny? Can't understand a single word. Informer. Blah, 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 blah. A licky boom boom down. That's all I know. Is <laughs> yeah, informer right. and a licky boom boom down. This song is by Canadian artist Snow. It made it to the number one spot on the Billboard Top 100 in 1992. He's not Jamaican. He's a white guy from Toronto. <laughs> <laughs> well played, sir. But it's super danceable. Right. And I guess that's the thing. That's a that's one, a one five. five. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Speaking of Jamaica and danceable, mm-hmm. how about this song, Clint? Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. Everybody was kung fu fighting, right? This song by Jamaican artist Carl Douglas was a hit in 1974. It reached number one on the U.S. Billboard Top 100. In retrospect, this song makes no sense at all. <laughs> First of all, it's a Jamaican number one hit that's not reggae. Right. It's Asian disco, basically. <laughs> but it sold 11 million copies, making it one of the best singles of all time. <laughs> oh, no. That's not fair. It, a little bit frightening. Everybody was kung fu fighting. <laughs> <laughs> he was high. <laughs> there's, there's only one explanation. All right, how about this song? 
I'm too sexy for my love, too sexy for my love, love's going to leave me. That drum intro is so hooked. Oh, come on. I mean, that's a hit right from the first. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. And I am too sexy for my leg. All right, I'm too sexy, sexy is by Right Said Fred, right? What template was this <laughs> fitting into, though? It was a campy send up of the fashion world. Mm-hmm. Hilarious video. And right at the peak of video next. The idea for the song came from the Fairbrass brothers, Fred and Richard. These are the two geniuses behind Rights of Fred, <laughs> right? These guys were running a gym in London, and Richard took his shirt off and started singing, I'm too sexy for my shirt in front of a mirror. They were like, oh, that's a good song. So they wrote a song around that. The first version was an indie rock song, okay? Huh? And it was rejected by multiple record labels until it was heard by an exec who latched on to the I'm a model, you know what I mean hook. Yes. I'm a model, you know what I mean. And I do my little turn on the catwalk. And suggested the lads rework the song as a dance track. Mm -hmm. And the rest (laughs) is... That is a track. It also steals from... Third stone from the sun. Let's listen to that. All right, I have a a couple more submissions here. The Macarena. People still know how to do the Macarena. (laughs) This song came out in 1996. Los Del Rio, who had been performing in flamenco lounges since 1962, had a song in 1996 that just, it struck gold and it stayed on the charts for 37 straight weeks. Unbelievable. In 2012, it was ranked number seven on Billboard's all-time top 100. Number seven! All time. The song is in A flat, by the way. Huh. 103 beats per minute for what it's worth. It just doesn't even doesn't even translate. It's a dance hit at 103. It feels really good. It feels good. It feels good. Feels like a warm bath. It feels like you just like bouncing. But yeah. Like if you could see us right now, we're both macaroni. Here's another one. All right. Explain this one to me, Clint. Well, obviously it's his voice. Obviously, there's something magic about it. It's kind of true. It's kind And it's unusual to have a hit song in a register that low. Totally. So this song made it to number five. Okay, that's a hit. It also made VH1's list of 50 most awesomely bad songs ever. Okay. (laughs) Well played. (laughs) 
The song is A minor G C F. Mm-hmm. Key of Key of C. Yeah. And there's a gajillion other songs with those chords. Definitely. In maybe not that particular yeah. order. And and that particular, and that particular yeah. order. There's uh-huh. something great about the lyrics of that song, though. Is hair went from black into bright white, right? Like there's something awesome. What is it? With birthmarks. Birth, birthmarks all <laughs> over his body. Was he a great big fat bird? <laughs> Little body. Buffalo Bill. But, um, yeah, that's. What I want to look at real fast is like this list of the top 100s of the top 100s. Okay. Right? So let's just like real fast. I'm just going to say them. The twist, Chubby Checker number one. Number two, Smooth, Santana featuring Rob Thomas. That was a massive, that was a monster massive hit. What was it about that song, you think? I think Latin music at the time was fairly pop, okay. popular, right? right. Like, like it was, Buena Vista Social Club. And, and also uh, Ricky Martin was also popular, I think right before that, because that was right. Live in La Vida Loca. I think yes. it was like... Remember, it was, there like, was like a Latin. It was like a Latin thing that happened. Yes, but it's also the rhythm of that is great. The horns are in, in it are incredible. Yeah, but it also features Santana, who's just ripping guitar. So, I mean, it's got all the elements. Okay, number three, Mac the Knife by Bobby Darin. Just a crushing song. I mean, that song's been covered by so many different people. We've talked about it before. Yep. Um, but number four, Uptown Funk. Let's talk about Bruno Mars. Yeah. Because I think he does. He write his songs. He does. He does. He's got a knack for. I mean, obviously, this is like this, like the most obvious statement I've made in the history of this particular <laughs> podcast. But he has a knack for writing hit songs. <laughs> Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. He's done very well. But that in particular, Uptown Funk, I think Mark Ronson technically yes. wrote the music, and I don't know how much Bruno had to do with that particular song. He knows but... how to make a hit. Yes. This is that ice cold Michelle fight for that white gold. This one for them hood girls, them good girls, straight masterpieces. Styling, wilding, living it up in the city. It's throwback. There's right. A, there's a throwback element. Yep. But still totally modern, modern. and danceable. Yeah. The tempo is like 116, I think. 114, 116, something like that, which is right around Billie Jean. Billie Jean is like the tempo. Right. That's the dance tempo. Right. Um, Uptown Funk, it's sort of got a bad... Like the kids like to say it. Right. So there's that element. Uptown funk you up. Uptown funk you up. Kids love to say that. Yeah. Because they get to say right. it's close. Right. And he's an example of someone who has it. Yes. You know, he's a great looking guy, yeah. great singer, incredible dancer. Yeah. Like Incredible band. Incredible band. Yeah. 
He's just got, he's put all those pieces together. Yeah. And writes great songs. And writes like, great he's songs. He's literally the top of the heap. Yeah. Certainly currently. Um, next and finally, and then we can stop this. I Got a Feeling by the Black Eyed Peas. And the thing about that is that chorus, just super, super easy. It is great fun. And it's high energy. Here we come, here we go. We got a rock, 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 rock. Easy come, easy go. Now we on top. Fill the shot. I guess this, this is my question. Is the formula something that has been created and now everyone's trying to follow it? Or is the formula actually like tapping into something essential about what makes us feel good? Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And I think it's both, I would say. But there is a formula. I mean, there is a time limit. There is a chorus. Right. Hit songs nowadays in the digital age are different, right? The intro of a digital age hit song is about five seconds. Right. Because in this world of next song, next song, next song on Spotify or Apple Music, you don't have time to set up a 14 second, 18 second intro. But when you put on a on a vinyl back in the day. Yeah, it could be 20 seconds before somebody starts singing. Right. But now it's not that you have to hook them early. You got to hook them early or don't bore us. Get to the chorus. All right, Richie, we're going to call Jenna Andrews. Great. And Jenna kind of does it all in the music industry. She writes, she produces, she signs artists, she is an artist herself. She even has her own podcast called The Green Room Talks, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in the interview. Yeah. And she's worked with some of the biggest names in the music industry. She's worked with Drake, J-Lo, Dua Lipa. um, And this year she was nominated for a Grammy for vocal production on... The song Dynamite by BTS, which was a monster hit. You may also know Jenna from co-writing the major, major smash, Super Lonely. And I don't know if you know this, but she wrote the song with Benny, who is a New Zealand singer-songwriter. And they released it last year at the beginning of quarantine in March. And it clocked in 6.9 billion plays on TikTok in one month. It then went on to chart in so many different countries. It was just a monster hit. Um, I'm super psyched to talk to her because she's going to have actual perspective on hit songs. So let's call her. Let's do it. Hi, Hi. Hold on a second. I'm just going to put my headphones. Awesome. We are so psyched to have you on the age-old question. Thank you for having me. Oh my God, I'm so excited. Jenna, this is Rich. It's really great to meet you. The topic of this episode is how do you write a hit song? So one of the things we've been asking is what is the secret sauce? Is there, as you think about your own career and the, and the artists that you've worked with and in your own music, the songs that have struck a chord, is there a common thread that you can point to? Listen, there, there are, people think that there's a certain amount of math. A hit song really is like about a certain magic element, you know, and that's something that it's almost hard to completely explain because it's, it feels kind of intangible because it's like you just know when you know, you know, you have this like feeling when there's magic in the room. When you think of, of some of the songs that have had found the most success 
did you know immediately as soon as you heard you're like this is it or have you been also surprised by like wow I didn't expect this one to find so much resonance oh my god absolutely it's so funny I mean there's been so many times where I'm just like this this feels undeniable for example even like with a song like super lonely I don't think any of us really expected it to do what it did um but it it definitely had that magic in it, but I don't know that we thought, we were like, oh, this is so almost like weird. You know, it's just, it was so different, but that's also something common to hit songs too. But I would say that we didn't think that that would be a hit, which is so fun, which is so funny. I know I fucked up, I'm just a loser, shouldn't be with ya. Guess I'm a quitter, but you're out there drinking. I'm just a thinking about whatever should have been. I've been lonely. That song actually was one of the most fun, most easy sessions that I've ever done, which is crazy because I, you know, I had become friends with Benny, the artist. That was the first time we actually wrote together. Like Josh Fountain, who produced it, had the track and and it was really just me and Stella. That's her name. We just sat down and like, we're just talking about her life. Basically, she had just broken up with her boyfriend. And I was writing a bunch of, she's an amazing writer herself. So like I was writing a bunch of lyric ideas and just sort of like texting them back and forth. And then she was like, oh my God, okay, I'm going to go try some ideas on the mic. And it was just like, and then we were just kind of going back and forth. And really the song was written in like three hours. Incredible. Maybe there is a little something to the ease of which it's written. That's interesting. Okay. In the most successful songs that I've been a part of, it's, it's always like that. Jenna, I see that you've worked with Lennon Stella. What, what was it like writing with her? I met Lennon when she was like 14 and Maisie was like nine. So like very much in the beginning stages of their career. And um, we just, it was just like an instant connection. They're also Canadian like I am. So it's just like, I feel like we just had that bond. She's about to be 22 now. So it's been a while. And I think for the first couple of years, it, it was just like writing and creating. Then I actually ended up signing her to a company called Records, which is a label that goes through Sony. And I, I that was the first artist that I actually personally signed. It was just because I feel like she she's a magical artist. Like she's just like a unicorn. I want to be a part of this. When you're choosing people to work with and spend that much time on, you have to love their music as much as you'd love your own. Tell us about your <laughs> podcast. It's called The Green Room Talks. We, we came up with the concept like right before quarantine. It was like it, the green room being like the backstage, you know, look into what really goes on in, in, in the songwriting process. And it was really more about like how therapeutic 
a songwriting session can be because a lot of times like artists will come in crying so, like it will just be something you connect with an artist on such a major level because immediately they just want to pour everything out to you it's been really cool I mean we just got Taylor Guitars sponsoring so we're giving away guitars each episode signed by the artist and all those proceeds go back to mental health and um yeah, it's just, it's just, a, it's really cathartic for me, to be honest, because I've gone through so much personal struggles coming down to like eating disorders or anxiety or being bullied. And I'm very open about this stuff. Like I talk about freely about all that stuff on the podcast. You use the word catharsis. And I think that's a concept that Clint and I are really interested in. We've talked about it on this podcast in a co-writing session. It is this emotional catharsis for the people that you're working with. And, and I imagine yeah. that you do get close really quickly with these people that you're working with. That's exactly the reason why I think the green room was such such an exciting thing for me to start. Because I feel like it is that exact same thing that I'm trying to get out on the, our conversations that we have. Because a lot of times you'll be in these deep conversations when you're in a songwriting session and the best concepts come from the conversation. That's what people relate to because that's what's going to strike the chords with people. One of the things about a hit song, it becomes a sort of universal, super accessible way to capture a sentiment that so many people can relate to. And the energy is just like so obvious and everyone's like, oh my God, yes, this will resonate universally. Thank you so much for your time. And everybody needs to check out the Green Room Talks wherever you get your podcasts. It's such a pleasure to have you on our show. I look forward to writing a hit song with you at some point. Yes! <laughs> yes, I can't wait. Bye. I'm tumbling, I'm tumbling, I'm tumbling down, down, down. It's cool to talk to somebody who actually has done this. Thanks for doing it, Jim. All right, Clint. All right. How do you write a hit song? Well, first of all, you have to write a great song, one that has great melody, great simple chord progression generally specific, memorable lyrics. But then you have to just hope that the rest of the world is ready to hear that song at that point. You have to have luck on some level, and you have to have a million dollars to help promote it? I don't know. I mean, Looking across the decades of hit songs, it's clear that there are some elements that are foundational and common yes. among hit songs. Yes. And so, but as you say... You can have all those things, and a lot of people do, mm -hmm. and they don't have hits. And they're really good songs, but they're not hits. Sometimes it's as, it's as simple, or not as simple, it's as random as a DJ saying, I want to start playing this song. So how do you write a hit? You do all those things, and then you pray. All right, well, I think... <laughs> Did we do it again, Rich? We did it again. I think we did it again. We did it again, Clint. Man. Well, I hope you guys have had as much fun as we have. We hope that you'll join us next time when we answer another age-old age old question. question. Follow us on Instagram at The Age Old Question. Facebook, The Age Old Question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. <laughs> <laughs>